Hey folks, we're back. Yeah. This is the Joel and Jeff podcast. podcast. We're going to be talking about Tales of Jack Assery tonight. That's right. This was kind of inspired by our friend Jesse Shows that gets mentioned in these podcasts sometimes. And uh, he was in town and uh, we're trying to get him to move back to New Orleans. And one of the things I was talking to him about when we were out doing something stupid over the course of five days was... You know, why haven't you moved back yet? Because every time we talk to him, he's like, I'm moving back, man. Yeah, he's, he's super enthusiastic about coming back to New Orleans. He's a super New Orleans guy. Yes. However, right now, he's making money hand over foot in Denver, Colorado. Well, I don't know. I don't know if he would say that. I mean, I think part of, it's not even the money thing. It's he uh, is kind of doing some kind. And he's got some contracting work. He's doing some other stuff. But he's not very happy there. You know, and and now he's got this new gig where he's um, uh, where he's buying and selling camera equipment, buying on eBay and selling on Craigslist. She didn't even know about this, but now he's feeling like I can do this anywhere. So now he just has to convince his wife. And I'm like, well, Melissa, I know she loves New Orleans. That's she she grew into who she is as a woman when she came here to New Orleans because of you. So I was like, what's the, you know, he, he basically, in short, he basically blames it on. Uh, his in-law, his mother-in-law. Yeah, yeah. But but I said, well, what, that's what a is good it? person to blame. Well, I was like, what is it about New Orleans? And he and then he just goes into this. He never brings it back to his mother-in-law. He just launches into this insane jackass story of his behavior and the results of his behavior on the Mardi Gras following Katrina, like the first Mardi Gras after Hurricane Katrina, because we all came back for that. And I remember he was staying at someone's house where. The guy apparently had like an infinite amount of cocaine, uh, and which is uh, not just a vice, but really a, a kryptonite for Jesse. <laughs> and uh, and or it gives him some sort of maniacal power. I don't know. He loses like his superpowers. Yeah, or games them for evil. It, it, yeah, like as <laughs> yeah. though he's Bizarro. Something like that. Now I wasn't spending too much time with him on Mardi Gras day. Um. And but he so he's telling this story and again it never gets back to the mother-in-law but something happened that ah but the, and we're, so we're, again, we're, we're not going to tell his story that's for him to tell if we ever have him on um, but the funny part that I was, had relayed to you at the bar and cracked you up and it kind of made us think about doing our own jackass stories was um, this little incidental comment he's telling me about the course of all these things happening you know it's just like a Breaking Bad kind of a thing. Everything's going wrong, and he's making bad decision after another bad decision. And uh, and he says, and of course I'm covered with urine, and blah 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 blah. And he continues going on. I was like, wait, dude, wait, wait, backtrack, backtrack. Covered with urine? He's like, yeah, I pissed on myself. What of it? What of yeah, it? Yeah. So then I, I said, wait a second, dude. You pissed. What's up? Yeah, it was Mardi Gras. I couldn't find a place to pee, and I and I, and I found some place, and I couldn't get couldn't flat, get it out fast couldn't, enough. Couldn't get it out fast enough, and yeah, I peed, uh, on I, I peed on myself. But then you wouldn't believe what happened, <laughs> you know. So it, that, it's kind of telling because a Mardi Gras day in New Orleans can have you can have a day where being covered with your own urine is merely incidental. It's just an incidental thing. Yeah. Right, to a greater story of, of maniacal debauchery and yeah. jackassery. I just like that he defended himself and kind of looked at me like I was being a little righteous. Like, Yeah, you were in the wrong for probing 
yeah. about, and also you were, you were standing in the way of his story. Yeah, he's like, dude, I pissed on myself. What I, uh, I mean, no I, big deal. You know, I just, just couldn't hold it in. Yeah. I peed myself. Okay? Right. Get over it. Okay, here's the rest of the story. That's right. So uh, that's a little insight into, into New Orleans. But I mean, New Orleans Mardi Gras obviously doesn't have to include that. Most often does not. I have not peed myself. I haven't. I was one time in Vegas on the, uh, some show that was LSD and I shot myself, but that's not the story. <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. That's you just tried to gloss it over like Jesse shows. <laughs> it was, you, your voice was, went down when you said chat. <laughs> the sun was coming Let me up. just say this for you folks. Shat. I wrote <laughs> He shat himself. I wrote some prose about it. Maybe I'll post it somewhere. <laughs> but it was a. Uh, How did you shat yourself? Well, you in know, Vegas. have you ever done LSD where it kind of starts fucking with your stomach? No. Do you do? Have you done much LSD? Yeah. Sometimes every now and again it can just wreck your stomach. Damn, that's loud. Sorry, it's my computer making noises. Um, uh, I was just having to go to the bathroom like every fifteen or twenty minutes for like very incidental little tiny thing you know whatever it was and i was with somebody and we were too high to be together staying in the same place and it's one of those things where you know once i found the car i couldn't believe it there was ice cold car and it because it, it was an adventure to find the car mm-hmm. and it was parked all sideways up on the sidewalk the sun's coming up over a black top and you can start seeing the heat over the black tar which is kind of like just a perfect Vegas sunrise. Kind of, there's, kind of like steam coming off poo. Yes, that's right. And there's, there's cold beer in this shitty fucking car we drove from Flagstaff because our plan was to fund our radiator, New Orleans radiators show, on like the Friday before Grateful Dead show. We were going to go see the radiators, 1 a.m. to 4 a.m. show, take a nap, go to uh, the place where the, the dead played out there, the big outdoor place, not go to the dead show, just sell three cases of beer, ice cold beer, and then hightail it back to Flagstaff. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I finally got back to the car, and I couldn't believe it. And the, the beer was so ice cold because we had thought ahead. And I sip a beer, and I'm just like, it had been such a misadventure up until that point by myself, tripping my face off. Because, you know, you hope you stop tripping hard before the show ends. But that didn't happen in this case. And I get this little shack happened, and I just giggled at it, and I thought it was perfect. Cold beer, sun up over the tar, tiny little shack in my pants, and I just laughed. I just giggled at the whole absurdity of it. And the funny thing was, he fi- Barton came back, and we, and this isn't even my Jack Ashery story, which is crazy. I know. Barton came it's a back. Separate Jack Ashery story. I know. Uh, he came back, and we finally were able to communicate again, and we were very happy about that, like lost lovers or something like that. You know, like we could actually talk, and we smiled at each other, and could figure out what each other was saying because it had been that bad. And uh, we went and took a nap out in the suburbs, and then you know the LSD was running, and we were about to go do the thing. And we had taken a draw off of our boss. We were we were painting an apartment building at the time. And we How took, do you take a draw off your boss? Uh, he gave us sixty bucks off oh, of he our did. like oh, the boss he, took a draw. He was he was cool. He yeah. just gave us this draw for future work. Oh, which I, I, see. Ne- I never worked for that guy again. Oh, and, oh, so, but we okay. were gonna we were gonna to pay him back. We were gonna sell do this whole beer thing and uh-huh. and, and to you know 
to, to fund this trip. We didn't even have the cash flow to like buy the beer to make the money to see the rads. We, get, we took a draw, and then it was all going to work out at the end. It was a brilliant plan. We were going to break even. Gotcha. But instead, we were like, at some point, I looked at him, and I said, Barton, you want to just go to, back to Flagstaff now? And he fucking lit up. He had had this, like, disconcertation on his face because we were just having to deal. The party was coming to an end, and we were going to have to go to the fucking Grateful Dead Shakedown Street bullshit and deal with all that. And uh, we had the best car ride I've ever had back from Vegas to Flagstaff where we just, because we were still on that, like, LSD can be like steroids, you know? And we each drank like a 12-pack on the way back. Of steroids? <laughs> of well, LSD? Mean, LSD, it's like it just makes you kind of like, you can drink way more than, even though oh, we've yeah, we, sure. we been partying all night. Titanic drink. Here it was, it was noon the next day. We had probably dropped that ass right. at 1 a.m. It was noon the next day, um, and uh, we'd make the decision to drive back. And once the weather starts cooling off when you get past Vegas, we just, you know, it was it was unbelievable. You're not even thinking about the consequences of what's going to happen on Monday. You're just thinking, that was the best decision I ever made. I can't believe how good I feel. It's cooling off. I'm with my, bet, you know, really good friend, drinking cold beers, <laughs> drinking all of our inventory. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> sorry, that was such a little side note. No, that's uh, fa- that's a fantastic story. Uh, I have a screenplay, as a matter of fact, about guys that uh, steal beer in order to get money. Oh yeah, and then they just start drinking their uh, their stock. Mm. Yeah, that's an idea that I, that I've had for for some time. Is that for a movie or a TV show? No, it's for a movie. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> you got it. You got it. But that actually happened to you. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Because you got a TV show. It's- Chumps. Thing you're working on, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I got a pilot. What's that all about? Chumps is about guys uh, who are from New Orleans yeah. um, in the post-Katrina environment yeah. who are uh, recognized on some subconscious level that they are uh, a dying tribe. <laughs> nice. And, uh, but they're going to fight to the bitter end mm-hmm. um, as the encroachment happens. And it's going to be all-out warfare against every perceived enemy that comes into town. Wow, intense. And, uh, it is uh, it is filled with drinking. It's filled with enmity and uh, lots of hilarity along the way and New Orleans characters that most people in the rest of America have n- not been introduced to via the, the show Treme. To, to to tell a story like that, obviously that's not on network television. I mean, have you even given thought of like what's the right network for a show like that? Like, is it FX? Is it HBO Showtime? Or do you some, even thought some, about that? One, one of those, yeah. Some somebody that can carry something that's like kind of controversial, yeah, like that, you know. But um, you know, I mean, one of the the better scenes I think that I've, that I've written so far is that uh, uh, there's uh, recurring characters and NOPD. Uh-huh. Right, and there's a scene where he confiscates a, uh, a flask that uh, one of the characters is drinking while they're on a uh, just a, a bender. They're going bar to bar one day. Yeah, right. And uh, I love the fact that you get a bender in New Orleans. You're going bar to bar, but you have a flask with you too. Of course, yeah. yeah you that's, have how, that's how it is. Well, because you it's have to, you have to have that for the in between moments. That's right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and. Uh, and uh, so the police officer, in full view of everybody, confiscates the guy's flask. Yeah. And uh, 
proceeds to let the uh, the person know you need to back off, but I'm going to drink out of this flask right now as <laughs> right. I'm letting you know right yeah. now. And I also know that you teach my daughter at my school, and <laughs> nice. you, you need to uh, give her some good grades as well. That's fantastic. All right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, so, like so that that's like one of the scenes right there. Totally. Like, not, like that. Not implausible. That is not implausible. That's mild, right. I would say, right. <laughs> on some level. Sure. To have something that is that that for most people in America would be so socially imperceptible. Yeah. That that you know someone in a professional position like that as a police officer would engage in that kind of behavior uh, would be scandalous but in new orleans it's minor uh, it's so far down the ladder of scandal right. that it it just becomes mundane and rather sure. routine and you're just you're cutting a deal that's what you're doing yeah he he caught you with something right and now you have to give something back yeah that's it and he confiscated your liquor and he's going to just drink that right in front of you and he's going to be on his merry way and he's going to arrest some more people yeah that's the deal. But that's Sounds not good. what we came to talk about here Jackass today. stories, yeah. Yeah, this is jackass story time. Well, and let me, I'm going to give a little bit of a preamble on mine because okay. it's a story I don't tell very often uh, because it, it's, it is a little crazy that it happened. Uh, I don't think I'm embarrassed by it. When I do tell it, I'm usually super drunk. So uh, even then, I don't tell it often. But So we made sure we, we were at the bar and talking just now. We've got a couple of drinks now. Um, so that should make it easier for me to, well, it's not, whatever, it's not a big deal, but just don't tell the story because of what happened too much. Cause I don't want too many people knowing about it, but here I am on the podcast. Well, we're about to put it out to the world. Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? I don't care. But I was telling you, cause I don't even know what your story is yet. And I was asking you if, if your story <laughs> could ever be used to help you get laid because my story, that, that's often what I would tell mine story is to a girl that I was courting you know and and it, 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 it's the prime example because it's adventurous well it's filled with kind of daring do not even I just it was it was a total jackass move but I try to I try to spin it as as it's part of romanticism and I think that's what it's it's not romantic but that's how I spin it that's how I remember mm. it and uh, so that's how I talk to every now and then I'll talk to a woman about it and uh, when I feel like she's the right kind of person that might that the story might advance my chances of intimacy uh, with with said woman has it worked yeah totally totally oh. it inspired this this blog that I'd like to write that that particular story uh, a, a blog entitled uh, stories that get me laid and keep me single hmm. you know because this is the, this is the lead off <laughs> yeah, that's for that. Right. Right. That's right. Yeah. I don't know if that blog's going to happen, but it might just anyway. <laughs> uh, but I find myself just in the, you know spinning all these freaking stories when I'm when I'm courting somebody. But um, God, this is hopefully no one I'm courting will listen to this. Eh, whatever. Uh, You're so in it now. I'm in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm in graduate school. Uh, I had done a stint, and my first stint in New Orleans was 1994, sight unseen. I came down here, was down here, never been before, came from like January and left after Jazz Fest, went back to Flagstaff. 
knowing that I was going to come back at some point, you know. But I went back to Flagstaff, and I had been already been in the graduate program there for psychology, but I, there was this loophole that if you had been accepted into the graduate program, you could, this is related to the story, you could um, go into another department, right? Because if you got the department heads, okay. So you didn't have to reapply to the graduate school. So while I had like a, a free ride in psychology, I was going to, I wanted to switch over to creative writing, you know? So I went, I, I submitted a story that I wrote during that first stint in New Orleans about it's such a bad story, but she saw some saw some promise in it. But I'll tell you, it was set in New Orleans, and it was about that uh, urban myth of people who steal kidneys from tourists. Oh my god! <laughs> I know, it was so bad. I'm so embarrassed by that. I submitted that story to the head of the department, but there was some pros in there. That and that's what she pointed out. She was like, "Wow, this story kind of sucks, but there's you have a style of writing that I really like and." I'd be happy to have you in our creative writing program. You know, you can sign up for a full thing of courses or you can just do the workshops. I was like, I'm just going to do the workshops. You know, I don't want to do any like literature stuff or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and that was after I dropped out of psychology because, man, it's going to sound like I'm a total freaking drug addict. But on Halloween, I was doing really well in the psychology graduate program, uh, MA. Sure, sure. And and me and some buddies did some mushrooms on Halloween, and then uh, and it's related to this story because my my jackass story takes place on Halloween too. Um, and we hiked up the mountain there, which I'm not remembering the name of the mountain, Mount something. And uh, it was like twelve thousand feet at the top. And we hiked up all the way to the peak after closing down the bar at two a.m. Not in hiking clothes. That was dumb. God, so I got a bunch of jackassery stories, but uh, we actually all had to huddle at the top until the sun came up and like do that thing where you use your bodies for warmth <laughs> because we were like in jeans and hoodies. That's pretty retarded. <laughs> you know? But uh, on the way up, I realized that uh, in the infinite wisdom from mushrooms that I uh, didn't believe in. Like, I couldn't, I, I couldn't have a life that where Western methodology was the driving principle, you know, of science, you know, and, and I, and I, and I, <clears throat> I felt, so I just was like, mm. yeah, I'm, even though psychology is a soft science, they still use Western methodology, and I was like, ah, I'm not on that, not my bag, go to New Orleans, come back, get in the creative writing program, and uh, fast forward to Halloween, you know, and I've been writing a story, my first story is, about a character who's, who's, a, who's a photographer who's fascinated by the trains because this train runs right through the middle of Flagstaff and it affects everything you do because the trains come through, because Flagstaff's very small and the train goes right through the center of town and you probably get like four an hour, you know? And the house that I was living in was right on the outskirts of town. Like literally there was, there was our house and then the trees and a bend, you know? Yet we were only about a half mile from Main Street. You know what I mean? So we're, it's very compact. And, and at our house, when that train would come by, it would rattle the house. Everyone would have to stop talking. And the record player or CD player would skip. You know, so it's, and it's for a good solid 15, 20 seconds. So you're always aware of the train. And you're always going to get stuck on one side of the train several times a day. You know? I was fascinated by the train. 
And uh, so this character that I that I wrote about, which I, fiction wasn't really my bag. Again, the prose was good. I figured that out later that I should just stick to prose. But the character was a photographer who was fascinated by the train. It was taking photography of the trains, all this shit. And there was a bunch of other stuff. He was meeting people, including a romantic interest and all this stuff. Um, I can't remember the what else was happening in the story. but um, So in the middle of writing that story, because in a creative writing workshop, you just basically write one story for the whole semester, mm, pretty right. much, you know? Um, and right in the middle of that, and for Halloween, we all went as clowns. Because we had just, like, Shakes the Clown had just come out. <laughs> or maybe it had been out. It might have not just come out, but that the summer prior to this, we had Shakes the Clown on a loop on a television playing, like, I mean, I've probably seen that movie a hundred times. Just because of that and House Party, we had looped. One, it was one or the other. It was this weird pairing of two movies that were always on in the background. And in, in the backyard, by the way, like, you know. Uh, so you just sit around the backyard. We're like the fucking clampets. There was like a TV in the backyard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the open air. Yep. Yeah. Totally. And you know the monsoons would come in. We must have had it. Must have been under some sort of porch. But we move it out into the open air at night or something like that. But um, so we go to this bar uh, at the Santa at the hotel there, right downtown. We weren't at monsoons. We were at the other bar, and again. God, I was tripping. <laughs> I think it was LSD this time. And um, and I was having a little bit of a trouble with the buzz, you know, in the sense of I was going down the rabbit hole and getting lost to the point where the security guy, who I knew and had a good relationship with, the bar was really busy, you know, because it was Halloween night. It's a little bar. Uh, should have looked this up what it is. It's the main freaking bar right on Main Street that's associated with that hotel. And I, I can't believe I can't remember that. I'm not calling that up right now. But uh, So there's this thing where he would, uh, his name was Gio. I can remember the, the security guy's name. And he would be, every now and again, again, I'm going down the rabbit hole, going down the rabbit hole, and then like a burst of light, I see Gio's face. And he's telling me to leave the bar. But at that point, I'm now out of the rabbit hole. So I say, okay, Gio, respectfully, I'm leaving. But I'm like, I feel great. I'm complete clarity. And I go up to Gio. I was like, hey, can I come back in? I, sorry, I, whatever happened, I'm good. And then that wash, rinse, and repeat like three times. You know? Wow. Go back into the bar, rabbit hole where I'm all in my head. I have no idea what I'm doing in the bar, like what's happening. I'm just in some world, rabbit hole world. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Right. And I come up, shroom, Gio's face, the bouncer. <laughs> you know? I still remember his face. Oh my God. He was like, I don't know, maybe one of the only black guys in Flagstaff. Super sweet guy, too. I mean, he should have not been so kind to me. And um, finally, he's like, that's it, Joel. You got to. You got to. Yeah, time to go. And I think, you know, I don't think you remembered. He said this to me. He's like, you know, I don't think you remember that you've already been kicked out twice. Um, I mean, I was a friendly uh, drunk, or in this case, you know, I don't even know what you call it when you're that fucked up on acid. I don't know if there's a verb. Oh, some kind of a term of art for that? No, I don't, mm-hmm. I, you know. But I was good at it. And, um, 
And so I happily left and go to the middle of town and wandering along, I'm walking along the tracks, train tracks. So if you just basically I leave the bar, exit to the left, like three blocks, then you're right central downtown. I'll take a right on the tracks. I've probably got about what, eight city blocks to where we're going to be back at the house, where we're on the edge of town and it's totally dark or whatever. So really, kind of really small scale here. And I walk and I'm, you know, I get down to where I'm probably 100 feet from my house. So I'm totally away from the lights of Main Street and downtown. And the stars there are beautiful, man. You can almost always see the Milky Way. You know, it's just the most gorgeous place for stargazing. So I lay down on my back on the tracks. Now, mind you, I'm not in between two sets of tracks. I'm in between, I'm on an individual track between the two rails. On a track, right? I'm not laying down in between, because there's a track going both ways, as there usually is. You know what two, I mean? Two sets of tracks there's, going there's either way. Two sets of tracks. I'm not and you're laying. in between them. No, I'm not in between the two sets of tracks. I have, I have been walking. You know like when you walk along a track, you pick a track, yeah. and you walk along that single track? There's a rail to your left and a rail to your right, and that's how you walk You're tracks. in between. You're yes. where the train goes. Right. So I lay down on my back to stargaze. And, you know, of course, I'm still seeing, like, some tracers and stuff and the lights. And there's always shooting stars, but, you know, I don't know if I can tell the difference between real shooting stars and what my mind is creating. And the last thing, I swear, the last thing that I remember thinking to myself was, whatever you do, don't pass out. You know? What do they call it in the business? Uh, jump cut? No, flash cut? Fast yeah, cut? Yeah. What's the jump word? cut? Jump cut? No, it's, uh, it's something else when you're well, talking about yeah. a script. Anyway, uh. um, I'm, uh, I did kind of, kind of get drunk for this. So I am, uh, I'm awakened by something, like startled, you know? I later found out what that was. And startled, my eyes open. And I see black. Just black. No stars. I do one of these things where I slowly turn my head to the right. I see black, light, 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 black, light, 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 black, light, light. Turn my head to the other side. I'm just... You know, playing perfectly still, just turning my head. Same thing. Black, 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 black. Turn back up. And I'm realizing I am underneath a moving train. And. <laughs> That's insane, Joel. There's not much to process in that situation. Except stay fucking still that and I, I and I had the wherewithal to consider this I hope this bitch doesn't have a caboose with a ladder on it that at this point that's the only way I'm going to get killed 
And if it happens, it's going to happen instantly and it's going to happen any second now. Right. If this bitch has a bladder on the back of it, I'm fucked. You know, I don't know how far caboose ladders go down. I've never even done the math afterwards because I'm not that kind of guy. You know, I'm not. Yeah. Uh, I don't obsess on shit like that. But then, so then at that point, it's just black, 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 because I'm looking up, black, 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 smidge of light, black, 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 and then, stars. Milky Way. All the trees, all the glory that's Flagstaff that I fell asleep for. And I kind of just, I didn't even, I didn't laugh, I didn't giggle. I just kind of stood up, looked at the train, like turned around. I was like, that, that just happened. I just kind of shook my head. I didn't have any kind of emotional reaction to it at all. You know, it was just like, oh, wow. It wasn't even like close call. It was just, hmm, there's that train. Hmm. <laughs> I'm gonna walk back down to the house, <laughs> but not on the train tracks. Not on the fucking train tracks. You kind of had to actually, because once you were that far, there was no flat surface to walk on, and then you kind of do the steep downhill thing to our house. You know? mm, right. So yeah, I kept on the <laughs> kept on the train tracks. I had this bruise on my arm, on my forearm, uh-huh. like pretty bad bruise, you know, um, and. I did go back, so I'm wondering, okay, what happened? I didn't look at the caboose thing, but I did, you know, I looked, I was like, okay, this makes a lot of sense. Look how tall these rails are. Of course you could land in there and not get killed, you know? Right. Then what I saw was I saw between some of the uh, rail cars, there was some sort of, like, rubber tube or something like that that sometimes hangs pretty low. And I think something like that hit my arm. Something was laying down low. And that that wasn't metal. It was, you know. Uh, and that that's what woke me up. And fortunately, and this is where, you know, you know, I'm not a religious person, um, but I have faith in like, you know, thousands of years of DNA. <laughs> I have faith in. I just have faith in that 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 your 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 body might be able to get, help you out. Somehow, some something in your there's a survival thing there, and even when so, you're asleep, something said, "Do not fucking tilt up." Don't tilt up, like as a reaction to, to the this situation. thing hitting your, or even that. Yeah, remain laying flat. Exactly, which is kind of like just the opposite of like the the, the reaction that everyone always talks about, which is the fight or flight. You know, I had the opposite reaction. Mm. I had the I mean, I felt like laying there. I felt like my blood pressure was and heart rate were low. <laughs> you know what I mean? I felt like I don't know. It was a weird one. The, a, a funny. A, <laughs> but you did have that thought about the caboose. I did. Matter. I did. I thought. I mean, I, I was definitely thinking reasonably enough to be like, "How might I die right now?" And that was the one thought. That's the only thought that I had. Um, 
the next day I, I, I woke up and probably this is probably a mistake. I probably should have just kept this to myself. Um, but I you told Griper. I told Griper. Griper. And Griper <sighs> Gripers can be a pretty pretty, you know, self righteous dude. And he's not afraid to lay us, you know, a little smack down of judgment on his friends. <laughs> I was just telling you this at the bar as we were planning this podcast. And your reaction was pretty funny to that because here I am criticizing my friend Griper for being mad at me about falling asleep under a train. I <laughs> know, uh, so dumb. So, it's ridiculous, man. <laughs> he should be mad at you. That's what friends are for. You fell asleep under a train. Oh, yeah. Griper was being a good friend. He was mad. Like, he wouldn't talk to me. Well, Joel, that's because he loves you. Ah, damn it. That's the truth. Yep. I mean... He's like, you're in the penalty box for at least a day, dude. I don't want to talk to you. That's because he cares about you. And... And that's it. I think he also... It, does, it, be, it begins and ends there. And that's it. And that's what happens when people who... Because he's like... He understood how perilously close to death you were. You, you know what else I'm thinking right now that I haven't ever thought about before? The griper was doing in that moment? Is he, knowing me the way that he does, he was going to try and just hit me with some kind of light, lightning bolt that some sort of significance hit me with an anvil hit me with something some sort of weight that the train running over me didn't which is to say you can't just start telling people about this like it's okay you can't just you know because before you know it you're gonna you're gonna be romanticizing it and what's gonna stop you know you this is serious fucking shit and you're not gonna do your joel jackson this is charming bullshit. I mean, maybe that was it. And it, because he, him being like, dude, shut up. I'm not talking to you. And I did, I certainly didn't tell anyone else after that. I think he has a good understanding of like when and where his friends' lives are in mortal danger. <laughs> and, oh, shit. He, he wants to preserve his friendship with the, I, I understand that, you know, and, and, I, and I empathize with Griper because I, I have a similar thing. Um, as a tangent, a, a friend of mine many years ago, um, in anger, he put his hand through a window and he sliced his arm. It's completely yeah. open, man, and he was just bleeding profusely. And I just went into, like, zone mode yeah. at that point. You know, and at all costs, he had to be at the hospital no matter what. It had yeah. to happen. It didn't matter about the state of the car or this or that or whatever the other considerations are. Da 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 da. At, there was another instance at, uh, at a party at a friend's house. Uh, in, in fact, my really good friend, and at, at a time when he was like getting out of like, you know, the drinking and the drugs and all that, and there was a dude who came in 
who was a friend of the younger brother of one of our friends. Yep. You know, it's like one of those Mardi Gras things. And the dude went and he OD'd on heroin yeah. in, in his house. And like, there was this mix of everything. Like, everything's confusing, right? And I just like went right in the middle of it. And I was like, I don't care. I'm calling the paramedics right now. I'm getting him here. He's going out of here. And we're telling him why. Yep. And that's it. And it's, that saved that guy's life, man. You know? Pulled a grabber. And, and that's it. <laughs> and so I got a little bit of that too, man. I understand that. So it's I empathize good. with Griper. Maybe I, maybe you know? I gravitate towards people like that because I need it. <laughs> it could, it could be, but I don't sense that. You know, I mean, not anymore. Sure, I'm I'm, I'm a little I'm a little grown up now. But I have my own story, you know. Yeah. But it's a more lonely one because mm-hmm. I wasn't. There was no one around to help. Right. You know, and uh, so when I was 19 years old, uh-huh. uh I think that my father thought my father was in the Coast Guard. It's it's military. A lot of people think that it's not, but it is. Okay? There's the boot camp. You do this, you do that. Same thing. He was in Vietnam. It's a military life. Okay? He... Hey. <laughs> hey. Hey, my girl's here. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Can't tell you the story. No. <laughs> Look, I think he thought... He's like, I, I got to straighten him out. Me, you know. I, I had just done stupid shit. I ran away. Stop that. <laughs> I ran away for a night, you know, like shirtless and insane one night, you know, in hey, Harahan. In Harahan. Okay. I know, I know. It's like crazy. I don't want to get into that story. <laughs> but, you know, it was just like, I mean, it could have just been, like, as simple as, like, weed didn't agree with me. Sure. I swear to you. Dude, I I, I am not that. a weed smoker. I, I'm not. I can't handle weed. I'm not. And, and, and I hate to say it, but all this cathartic stupidity happened with me and my parents and, and all this shit. Because it's, it's not about the badness of weed or marijuana or anything. It's just that certain people have a similar story to tell about their experience when they do it. Yep. And I'm one of them, and so are you. That's right. And there's two or three other people. I've talked to them, and it's the same thing every time. It's like there's an unbeatable level of paranoia and fear <laughs> and insanity, right. and that and it makes you feel stupid. Yep. And, you can't, and, and so for a couple of years, I was doing it, and I think it just because they're from that generation where they're like, they didn't even know anything about drugs and this and that. And Your other. parents. And it was just, yeah, my parents, yeah. right? And it was like, it just culminated in this thing where my dad was like, came up with this cockamamie idea that, uh, oh, well, also when I was in Lafayette, right? When I graduated school, I went to, when I graduated high school, I went to uh, USL, which is now known as ULL. And in the second semester when I was there, me and this guy had this apartment, this guy Jeff, who went to high school with. And 
he got into a freaking automobile accident and I was in the car with him yeah. and he just fucking crashed his car. And I just think that like these reports got back to my parents about all the shit. Sure. And when I came back, I was like, I'm switching to UNO. And, and he's like, you know what? You know, and he was so duplicitous and, and, and underhanded in the way that he like shoved me toward this. You know, it's like he played my, my machismo against me. Okay. But also a sense of adventure, which he knew that I had. Uh-huh. And I'm like, yeah, God, it was really manipulative in a, in a, in a certain way. And he's like, uh, you know, I'm in the, he, he had a somewhat position of prominence in the Coast Guard in, in, at the time in the New Orleans community as the chief investigative officer. Okay. Right? And, and he's like, you know, I got this guy that I know in a West Bank who has this tow, towbo company and they, and they do coal barges and everything, you know, back and forth to Florida called Compass Marine. Okay. And you can go see Mr. Eddie Compass and you can get a job <laughs> with him working as a deckhand. Mm-hmm. And he sold me this, the sailor's bill of goods, man. He did. Mm-hmm. A girl and, in every port? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like that. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and I bought it. Yeah. Like many young men do. You know, this... this this flowery romanticism, you know, that's really just uh, cloaked in in slave labor <laughs> right. and an incredibly hard life. Yeah. Right. And I bought it. So we embarked, and um, I cannot even remember the name of the boat or anything at this point. It's such a long time ago, but uh, but. On this particular vessel, there was uh, there was a captain, there was a first mate, I think, and a second mate. I think that's how it goes down. And uh, anyway, we went back and forth between New Orleans and Pensacola or Panama City. And it was just a small towboat thing. We picked up full barges of coal in New Orleans. We took those barges that were filled with coal. We tied them together and we went to Pensacola or Panama City. And those barges were unloaded at power plants. Okay. And those power plants fed the, the, the generators for the city. Yeah, you know, that's how we live in the United States, for better or for worse, whether people care to admit it or not. Sure. On the periphery of providing those services for us to have the luxurious lives that we have, are men who are completely on the fringes of society. Yep. They bring that service to you anonymously and normally without complaint that you ever hear about other than to read salacious details in regard to uh, nasty actions of certain individuals 
who have done nefarious deeds, either onshore or offshore. And I can guarantee you this, it's generally the former and not the latter. Because the latter is hidden from the public. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. What's it like? I mean, is there a lot of, uh, I mean, the first thing I think are dudes banging each other. Is the well, first of course, thing like prison, is. right? You think right. about that, right? Uh-huh. Well, I mean, and, and obviously when I'm there, I was like literally, it was me and one other guy that were, that was, that we were the youngest guys in the whole thing. Now, I was so green and so stupid and from this suburban background that I was just, I was a chump. I was a complete undesirable. Yeah. Nobody wanted me to be on their vessel. You know? uh, uh-huh. But this one guy I got saddled with it because of my father's position right. in the Coast Guard. And it was a favor that this guy was doing. Yeah. You know, they had made this arrangement Jesus, to like straighten me out. God damn. So you were like... Because like I had boot- gone to jail, you know, when I was 17, yeah. right? Like it's like I, your version of boot camp or something. But. It was... I think he was like, yeah, I'm going to send you to boot but camp. But you're a man amongst... Bo- you're a boy amongst men instead of boot camps usually. Well, your, I, your peers. I, frankly, what it's... what it's One of the things that it taught me was that... Um, I don't think that my father... I, he was naive yeah. in his understanding of the totality of the depravity of this world. And, <laughs> and I don't think Christ. that if he knew what really happened, that he would have submitted his child to this. You have to think that. Otherwise, I mean, yeah, of course, I agree with you. I, I, I mean, I really do, knowing my yeah, father, you yeah. know, but... Yeah. But maybe there's a darker side to it. And I'm yeah, hopefully not. That. Hopefully yeah. not. But, yeah. you know, I mean, Dad's got <laughs> some background, you know, that I'm like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> and, uh, but, but the deal is, here I was, you know? Yeah. And let's face it, Joel, once you're on the water, you're on the fucking water, God, man. That scares me. And so it, hearing this story scares me. Seriously, just not even knowing where it's going. It's like it, thinking about... Being in your shoes frightens the fuck out of me. It's it's somewhat more harrowing, yeah, in its own way than the train. Oh God, yes. Because it has to do with human depravity. It has to have yes, and people who can do shit to you, take shit away from you. That's right. You know, and and well, the, the boat. You know, you have to share a bunk and everything, but. One of the one of the redeeming factors of the entire thing is that everyone works so hard, yeah, and so long, and for so little money, that at the end of the day, it's like so, some of that depravity stuff. It's like hard to imagine it happening. But I'll just fast forward to really like the meat yeah. of the story. Okay, what happened, and so. Somewhere near Gulf Shores, Alabama, the what's called the Intracoastal Waterway. It's a navigable waterway that stretches between all the way down to, I believe, Galveston, Texas, to somewhere of unknown termination uh, in the Florida Panhandle. And it's, it's a navigational waterway that is maintained by the Coast Guard 
and it's designed to facilitate commerce between the Gulf states. And we went back and forth on this. Now, sometimes you're out on the open water uh-huh. in this, and it's a ship channel where you can see the beach. But also at other points, because of the shape of the land, you're, you're, it's an internal waterway. And at the point where we were in Gulf Shores, it's, you're, you're inside the land, you know, but you're just on this channel. And you're pushing the barges up this channel. Well, typical of sailors, right? They're they're very devious, right? Now, if you're ahead of schedule, which this captain that we had, Captain Willard, right? He was a real driver, man. He was like, fucking drive it, man, every day, man. He never stopped. He never did, you know, it's just, we're driving every day. Yep. And he was like top producer in the whole thing. And they hooked me with him, huh. which must have been much to his chagrin. For sure. Exactly. But he's a top guy, man, because he just keeps driving it, man, all the time. Never stop. Yeah. Right? But there's a motive behind that. Okay? The motive is, is that you become ahead of the schedule. Okay, so Uh so in other words, other boats, other barges, other scheduling has to get out of your way before you arrive, just like in an airport. And if you drive it ahead of the schedule, that gives you the luxury of having some downtime. That's right. And some very select locations. Or some Lord of the Flies activities. No, like you mean you mean onshore locations. Or are you still talking about offshore? Well, onshore location. Yeah, exactly. Right. So that's where, right. his, that's where so, his bag was. So here's the deal, what happened with this. We're way ahead of schedule. They're not ready to receive us back in New Orleans, which means we got some time to have a layover. This is a bad idea <laughs> for people on a boat, <laughs> especially with the char- cast of characters that were on this thing. Yeah. So... Believe it or not, I'm not even kidding you, man. This is how secretive this world is. If you ever are on the bank of a river or some navigable channel and you see some large tree that has a rope tied around it, that's not some innocuous marker. (laughs) Oh, my God. That is a port of call. Right. That's what I learned about this. Right. That's a that's a rope that's fished out by like a twenty foot long pipe pole, yeah. and you take that out, and you tie the boat up with it, and you cut the engines, you moor the boat to the side of against some embankment, right? That Holy where there's shit. it's just we're not on the side. On one side is a community some suburban-looking groomed community, right? And there's a road right there. And on the other side is uh, dredged sand and forest uh-huh. and brambles. And that's the side that we moor against, Ooh, right? Okay. okay? Now, these guys have done this so often that wow. the captain and the first mate 
they decide we're going to get off the boat at this point and we're going whoring and we're going gambling. Yep. And that's what's happening. That's what's what. You understand, son? Okay. Good. <laughs> but of course, they're not saying that explicitly. So once they're off the boat, it's me, it's another deckhand named Bull. <laughs> and it's another guy whose name I can't even remember. But we can call him Raper Boy. Oh, God. Right I hope now. you're not on the receiving end of this, Jeff. I okay. don't think I'm prepared for this. Not the receiving end. Okay. I'm so sorry. To, I didn't want to no, step okay. on any of your story. But we I'm can just... call him Raper Boy. Okay. All right? So it's me, Bull, and Raper Boy. All right? <laughs> right. The captain and the first mate, Jeff, have gone off to Gulf Shores, Alabama to get their cock sucked <laughs> and to have some fucking gambling or some bullshit. Yeah. Right? Okay, so there are taxis that know about this location. Yep. They call it in. They shut everything down on the boat. Now, what they're doing is illegal. Of course. The captain and the first mate, there is no circumstance in which both of those people are ever supposed to be off the boat. Right. Ever. Right? But they figure it's safe. But they don't... They don't factor into their equation the presence of this individual named Bull. Right? <laughs> now this guy was a force of testosterone-fueled nature. Okay? He was not a steroid guy. Yeah. Right? He was rather thin. Right? Sinewy, but muscular like you wouldn't fucking believe. Yeah. Okay? The dude could scale a rope down into the frickin' tank of the barge and scale right back up and get out. Which is wow. something, even though that was the best shape I was ever in in my life doing that hard work when I was 19, I couldn't even do at that sure. point. Right? Now, it was very intimidating. He was a very violent guy. He did not like me. Which, of course, no one did out there. And who would blame them? I was terrible. Right? What was your job? I was a deckhand. You're a deckhand. What does that mean, though? What do you, you do? do uh, you swab the deck. You tie the barges together. Right. You do incredibly dangerous shit in really freaking stupid circumstances and hope you don't die. That's it. That's your life. And then when, when it's stable and you're just pushing the barges, you take... 40-pound pieces of equipment and that are designed to rip paint from the side of the boat, and you, you just shred the paint off the side of the boat and, and so that you can get ready to repaint the boat. Huh. You just do the most mundane stuff. All of it is incredibly physical all the time, and that's all you do. Yep, okay. And then you retreat to your cabin... After a 12-hour shift, if you're the day man, you do an 18-hour shift, yep. right? You go back to your cabin. The whole cabin is filled with freaking pornos, right? <laughs> and then you just freaking, like, peel one off. How tired are the quarters? I mean, you don't have your own cabin, do you? No. 
No, you share it with like two other guys. So a bunch of guys beating off in the same No, it's like three guys, but no, but there's a rotation. So generally, <laughs> gotcha. like you're in there by yourself. Okay. You know, I mean, I, yeah. I know what you're saying, right? It's You're either in there by yourself or you're with one other guy. Yep. You know, that's it. That's okay. what you got. Um, so, so we stop. The captain and the first mate get off and they're gone. So I'm stuck there. As soon as they're out of view, Bull is like, come on, man. Let's go get some beers. <laughs> yeah. We going. Like well, off the boat. Yeah. We're going to get course. off the boat. Yeah. We're going to go get some beers, man. Uh-huh. Right over. Well, there was like an overpass, like not far off in the distance. And you could see the lights of a convenience store. Sure. And we're like, we'll make our way through the brambles. We'll get through the trees. We'll make our way to the road. And we'll go over and we'll get some shit. I had no idea that any of this was illegal, legal, whatever. I was just like, okay. Yeah, man. Let's get some fucking, fucking beers, man. Yeah, I was, I was into it, man. You <laughs> of know? course. I mean, I wasn't against it on any level, you know. And it was like, yeah, fine. Raper boy stayed on the boat, right? How many people were left on the boat? No. Just one. That boy. small of a crew? Five. Holy shit. That's it. That's all you got. Raper boy's on the boat. So we go and we buy some fucking beers. Right? It's a bad situation for Raper boy when there's no one to rape. If your name is Raper boy and you're by yourself. Well, just give the story a couple more oh, minutes, sorry. man. We'll, sorry to step on it. We'll get there. No, it's okay. <laughs> so we come back. We got the beer, right? Now, here's the thing. We're just drinking beers and we're talking. They're freaking emasculating me, ostracizing me, you know? This and that, which happen all the time, because I'm the odd man out, obviously. And I'm like, whatever, it doesn't, you know. Right. God, let's just get the situation over with. The summertime will be done. Blah, blah, blah. All of a sudden, out of nowhere. And we're, we're sitting in the wheelhouse, which is the where the captain sits. Okay. Yeah. And they're having fantasies of authority up there. Huh. I mean, you understand, this is yeah. where command occurs in the vessel. They're probably, like, mocking him or something. It's just weird, you know. Bullshit. We're hanging yeah. out up there. Of course, they know how to operate everything. Right? Yeah. So so we're just sitting up there. And then out of nowhere, there's, like, this on the deck. Uh-huh. And then on the deck. Uh-oh. And then again. Again. And we're all like, what the fuck is that? And Bull realizes immediately that someone has made his way through the brambles over to the boat. And he pops on the freaking light. There's these spotlights, these high-powered spotlights Uh on top of the freaking vessel. And the first one comes on, and it's as soon as it pops on, Coincidentally, it shines right on the fucking person that's yep. in the brambles. And this guy is taking beer bottles, and he's throwing them. Okay, so the you guys boat. are on shore. Raper Boy is operating the No, lake. we're in. No, we've okay. returned. You've returned. Shore. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, we're on the. Everyone is on the boat. Gotcha. At the, we're moored to the to the yes. side. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Continue. Sorry. Right. So the light comes on. Boom. And there's this guy, and he's clearly saying, 
hey, I'm sorry for throwing the bottles. I didn't know how to get anybody's attention. But is Jeff on board? Well, Jeff is the first mate. Right. Is that hard? Well, Bull, Bull is so filled with rage that he doesn't care on any level. Yeah. His bag is, you're throwing bottles at this boat. That means I can kill you. Right. He runs out barefoot onto a deck that's made of freaking bare metal, right? He grabs what's called a cheater, a toothpick, right? He grabs that. Toothpick is a just a piece, a big, thick piece of rebar, right? Something like that. Yeah. Just a big piece of metal. That's it. He grabs it. He runs off the deck of the boat, up the freaking, up the knees, right? Onto the empty coal barges and leaps barefoot into the brambles to chase this guy down. The guy immediately sees that he's in danger, turns tail and runs back into, into the freaking forest. Nobody knows what's going on. Why was, he, bare, boy, why, why was he barefoot? He just didn't have his shoes on. Right. He's like, I'm kicking back. We're all, <laughs> we're all chilling. He's doing a redneck kickback, man, right? Right. We're all chilling, having yeah. some beers, man. Okay. Right? So he's out in the so woods. He's out there. The Raper Boy is like salivating. Raper Boy is up in the freaking wheelhouse still. I run outside. I'm just down on the mid deck and I'm looking out and I'm like, what's going on? Right? He's trying, Raper Boy is trying to follow him with the spotlight, but they disappear into the dense thicket of the woods. Right? Yeah. You don't hear anything. Then, as time goes on, <clears throat> Bull comes back. Raper Boy is still in the wheelhouse. As if I'm remembering things correctly. I'm on the edge of the barge trying to see what the fuck is going on. Now, Bull comes back and he's frightened out of his mind. Bull's frightened. He's like, he's seen something? No, he's frightened in a way that people are frightened they when they something. think that they've done something incredibly wrong. With a toothpick. That's right. Not and aptly named, by the way. Not aptly named. No, yeah. no. More like a beater bar or something like <laughs> right. that. Or like a death... <laughs> death Death <stick>. club. <laughs> yeah. You know, or something like... I mean... Anyway, so he comes back, and I said, what did you do, man? And he's pleading with me like a child at this point. He's regressed into, like, child thing. And he said, I didn't do nothing, man. I didn't do nothing. I just did And he's blubbering. And I said, what the fuck are you talking about? Now, that didn't last very long, trust me. He pulled his shit together. I'll never forget that. It was like your... For that moment, his fear caused him to become a child again it kind of reminds me of your uh, girl from south carolina from another podcast when you that's right it's a similar age. similar yeah. kind of thing anyway and but i mean very different situation because of, of he, course he did believe i think for a minute that he had murdered this guy yep because he caught him out there he found him yep he beat him in the knees 
with that thing. Uh-huh. Senseless. Fucked him up. Fuck. Anything he thought that he killed. And yeah. he came back. And so then it became chaotic. It became, who? what are we talking about here? Did you kill him? What happened? Well, I hit him in the knee. I had to talk him down a little bit. And at that one moment, I was the adult on the vessel. Wow. Okay? Wow. And I was like, what did you do, man? Did you this and that? And he's trying to tell me details. I don't know, man. I fucked him up. I fucked him up, man. I hit him in the leg. I left him out there. Well, you got to go back out there and get him. By that time, Raper Boy is back down. Now, Raper Boy <laughs> has a different take on things. And different goals. Raper Boy's take on things is, well, where's the fun in all this, basically? Jesus. Right? Oh, no. So, so Raper Boy and Bull decide to go back out into the brambles and find the guy and see what happened. Raper oh, Boy no. and Bull go out to find him, and he's still alive. He's in the brambles, and he is breathing, and he's cognizant, but he's scared out of his mind. He's like, I don't know what I did, man. I just want to find Jeff, man. Please don't kill me, man. Don't kill me. Shut the fuck up, dude. Shut up, man. Where's your car? We just want to get you to your car. Say, bring him over to his car, which is in this sand pit of dredge sand. That's, and his car is stuck, which he drove it stupidly into the sand pit because he's drunk too. Right? Of course. So, drove it in the sand pit. I'm stuck. I'm going to get in touch with Jeff. Jeff's going to help me out. I know him. They drag him back over there. His leg's probably broken. They get over there. What's in the car? His girlfriend. The girlfriend is in the car. The girlfriend is passed out. (laughs) bring him over there they put him in the car then they have they start walking back to the boat they're having alternate thoughts at this point they get back to the boat now by the time they get back they go, they get back in, and uh, the last time he was on the boat, he said, Bull, about the beer, he said, get that off the boat, because that's super illegal to have alcohol yeah. on the boat. So I took the beer, and I tossed it overboard. Yeah. But that's not what he meant. He meant, put it somewhere on the land where I can get it <laughs> and drink it some more so that they can't find it. Right. So he made that clear that that was his interpretation of events. Yeah, rookie mistake. And he said, uh, and then it got crossways between us. Oh, you and, and both. Said, 
Yeah, and then he says, I should kill you now for doing that. <laughs> for tossing his beer over the side of the for boat. For tossing the beer over the side of the boat. Right? And exactly. you just saw how close he came to killing another man. That's right, exactly. And so I said, I said, look, man, I didn't mean, of course, I wasn't as composed in the way I'm saying it now. Sure. But I was like, I didn't mean to do that. I'm begging forgiveness even. Sure, in, of course. Of course you are. And uh, so then he says, you're going to go down there and get it. In the water. Isn't there a current? There's all kind of shit. And isn't there also, it's going to sink? And I said, I toss it off the back of the boat, man. You're going to go down there. <laughs> you're going to get it. And I was like, are you serious, man? You're going to go down there, and you're going to get it. Oh, man. And I became the bitch. Dude, what were you? For that minute. Mm, yeah. And this is what happened. They took the pipe hole and ran it all the way down to the bottom of the freaking intercoastal waterway. And yours truly climbed off the side of the boat and with one hand held it and went down all the way down Jesus. to the bottom of the freaking water looking for a six-pack of beer because I was afraid that that guy is going to fucking kill me Raper boy might rape me, oh, or what else? God, dude. And it, and at that point, also, don't think that it didn't occur to me that they could just freaking chunk the engines on and suck me into Completely. that shit and chop my ass into fucking nothing but fish bait. Because they're certainly not being rational. They're not only are they not being rational, but I'm right next to that shit. Yeah. And you know what? Once you're gone, you're fucking gone, and that's it. And I'm thinking that I come back up and it didn't happen. And I was like, dude, I'm sorry. It's not down there. Da, da, da. Right? Climb back on the boat. And I'm like, I'm done with this fucking piece of shit. Uh, then. Is this bull saying that? Both of them. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but then the conversation turns to this. The dude is out there injured still. The girl is still out there. Passed out. And Raper Boy says. Why don't we just, let's go have some fun, man. Let's get out there and fucking have some fun. A raper boy wants to go and fucking rape the girl. Right? Yeah. They're going to get away with it. Yeah. Yeah. So then, heading back out in the woods, ostensibly to complete those actions. I'm on board because now I'm fully ostracized. I'm out. Yep. Right? Pussy. <laughs> so, so they head out. But in the meantime, while they're out there, the police show up yep. on the other bank. Now, in police and maritime law, you're... you're, you're Land-loving police officers, can you can't go on a boat. Can't do shit. Can't do anything. Cannot do anything. But if I go on land, then get me. So they're trying to entice, entice me to come out. Yeah, they're on the other side. They're on the other side. How big is this 
This is they got spotlight on me and everything, man. And they're like this, right? And I'm like, how far are you from that shore? It's uh, not that far, man. It's probably like that waterway is probably thirty feet. Oh, okay. Something like that, maybe forty. Okay. Something like that. It's not not that far. Yeah. And uh, so I'm like, like, look, man. You know, I don't know, man. Those guys are here. I'm the only one on the boat right now, man. I can't leave. It's right. illegal. And I'm making up this bullshit right. that I don't even really believe. Sure. Or even know anything about. Good God. And these two guys are on the land, right? And they see this, and they come back, and, he, and then Bull is furious. What the fuck are you doing, man? You're talking to those guys. You're talking to them, man. Why are you talking to them? And I'm like, because it's the police, man. They're trying to ask me some shit. Right? Like, hey, you don't talk to them, man. Shut the fuck up. They can't do shit to you, man. Right? So they're back on the boat, man, just like that. Yeah. So the police have thwarted the, the eventual or, or, and or in progress rape yeah. of the girl. They have. In, right, exactly. Yeah. And so they're all back on the boat. Now, by this time... Somehow, through taxis passing and, you know, just people in the neighborhood who know that this is a spot that sailors disembark and all this shit. And don't believe that the cops don't know this, too. Of course they do, right? Yeah, the cab driver knows about it. That whatever whoring was taking place with the captain and the first mate has been completely interrupted. Right. Right? And that they've zipped back over in a cab and suddenly everybody's back on board the vessel there's no incriminating alcohol thanks to yours truly <laughs> as it turns out that was a good decision yeah. right and uh, and Bull and Raper Boy are back on board the captain gets in everybody yanks the freaking line on the stuff and we disembark yeah into the night yeah the pitch Wow. Right? And as one big, unhappy, dysfunctional fucking family with everybody wondering what's the fucking ramifications for this. Now, already, the reports are getting back to the fucking home office. Sure. Right? Everybody knows some shit fucking went down with the freaking, with this shit that night. And the potentially raped girl and the injured guy I don't know what their fate was, but yeah. he fucked that guy up, man, yeah. badly. And just barely did this fucking entire episode escape from being a, a murder rape with me being a witness to it and potentially being the guy that gets dumped overboard. Exactly. As the fucking, that's the well, loose that's link what in the chain. Happened. That's what would have happened. They'd this is the shit. loose link in the chain. This yeah, guy, yeah, yeah. his dad's a fucking Coast Guard officer. They would have, they would have taken care of you. They would have taken care of my ass right there. I mean, there would. Don't been. believe that I wasn't standing on the side of the boat for a while, just going like this. Because at some point, Bull had he swam to the other side yeah. of the shore. I, I can't remember the chronology of the events, but but him swimming to the other side demonstrated to me that it could be done and I'm a good swimmer and again I was like you were thinking about just making a swim for I was just like I'm just gonna fucking bail yeah 
I'm going to get out, and then I'll be on shore, and they can't do anything about that, and I'll just fucking be out. How much longer after you guys pulled out were you guys on that boat together? Like, how did it end? How did your participation well, end? Well, we, we got out for, for some time. We were we pushed out, and we were still in the ICW, and I want to say, like, 30 to 45 minutes later, like, with no running lights on. This is what the police do yep. when they're out on the water. Totally, yeah. Is that there was some, there was either Coast Guard or Harbor Police, and they were, like, right behind us. Yeah. And that is a ghostly fucking sight. Fuck. Because when you're on the water, like, it's not like we live in the city yeah. or even in rural yeah. America or anything like that. It's like the only markers that you have are these, like, really bright red and green lights that are, like, way off in the distance. Sure. You know? there There's moonlight, and that's it. And it lends this incredibly surreal but very naturalistic tone to the whole thing yeah and uh if it's pitch black with no moonlight you can't see anything but there was some little bit of moonlight that allowed us to see off the back side of the boat and there was this freaking law enforcement boat behind us just tailing us man for miles and it was just sitting there like waiting for orders to board but they can't do it it has to be like Coast Guard or this or that or the other. There's this big bureaucratic fucking bullshit right. that goes on about like getting on board a private vessel sure. when it's on any navigable waterway. It's got to be the feds, and they got to know like what happened, this, that, the other. Well, by the time they figured that out, we weren't in Alabama anymore. Yep. We were in Mississippi, you know? And so when we got back home, there was this big inquest going on. Uh-huh. You know, like I had to go report and they were like, put me on leave for like longer than normal and I had to go tell them like what happened and I bullshitted my way through the whole fucking thing. Dude. Yeah. I didn't tell them the fucking truth. I protected Bull. I even protected Raper Boy. You and Raper Boy uh, Facebook friends? What's he up to? God damn it, man. <laughs> I mean, that dude is <laughs> most certainly dead or in jail. I'm going to tell you that. He right ain't now, on Facebook. Man. It's just like, what the fuck, man? I am not saying anything. And the, the irony of the entire thing is that, you know, at the end of it all, I actually, that was my first tour, right? And that actually, I... They put me on leave, and I did some shit, and they were like, what are we going to do with this guy? And they put me on another boat, and I, and I did it again. Jesus, dude. I went out again. I don't know why. The funny thing and is, when man, I went out again, Joel, yeah. I'm not kidding you, man. They put me on a boat with another dude who was like the same age as me. Yeah. And... Now that I'm remembering, I, I realize I'm remembering some things incorrectly because that Captain Will, Willard, yeah. he wasn't on the first boat. He was yeah. on the second boat. It was this other guy. I mean, it was Jeff, and there were some other people that yeah, were involved yeah. in it. But look, man, they had another dude, Marty, who was like 19. And God damn, man. He went on shore leave, man, and he, fucking, he blew his brains out. 
That's what happened to me in one fucking song. We're doing that job. And I never, ever, never, never did I tell my father anything about this. I never told him anything. I just told him this. I said, never get me a job again. <laughs> That's awesome. You didn't say, don't ever get me a job in your field. You were like, just don't get me a fucking just job. Just never get me a job again. Just Holy get out of that. shit, dude. That's insane. I would have never imagined it, man. I've known you a long time. And if you put like all the people, all my friends on like one side of the page and some sort of crazy, like the job they had when they was 19 years old on the other side, I'd have never made that like connection. I wouldn't be on it you I would have never made the connection from that experience to right. you you know yeah. who I would have done that that's right that's, that's, that's but insane. that's a crazy connection between military and like saying like you know I'm gonna show that my son you know yeah I'm gonna iron out these fucking problems with my son yeah it's a big you difference know? between prep school it's a military it's camp. not the same <laughs> but I don't even think, I don't think that my dad understood I thought he was like I think he he naively believed that it was good honest work yeah and I think that he believed that by because he was raised on farms yeah way up north right in Wisconsin and, yeah. and Minnesota and I think that he thought that that's kind of work if, if the boy is out there and he does some real hard work and he realizes how the other half lives, you know. But it's but I don't think he understood about the porno, <laughs> and the fucking, and and the violence, and the dysfunctionalism and the psychopaths, yeah. and and how these people were like jailbirds and everything. And like, grifting. I I don't think he understood how like perilously <clears throat> close that reality is in terms of a work environment to actual prison. To prison. Right, and that and that he was sending his son to that, right, and that in fact being in the military is like more safe, on on some level. Absolutely, you know, even even is, even deployed in the military, might be more safe. It might be more safe, you know, because what I realized when order. I was at least there's I I realized Joel when I was out there this, and I'm not kidding you. If you have a rival, in that world. You can kill him. Yeah. All you have to do is fucking kick his ass over the fucking side of the boat. Yeah. It ain't hard. Yeah. And if he doesn't die, you better damn well be sure that you're going to fight your ass off. Yeah. And and even if you get in that fight, they'll just freaking disembark somewhere and put your ass on shore and get rid of you. Yeah. And then they'll go and get arrested somewhere. There's a whole world that's unseen to most people that fuels everything that we do. Everything. The lights, the fans, the houses, everything that we do. And that's where it begins, in heavy industry, right there. And it's fascinating. And at the same time, it's, it's radical. It's on the edge of humanity, and it's, it's about tossing people's lives in a fucking trash can. Yeah. Like, because as much as I, me personally, in that situation, had disdain and fear for my own safety, I also had empathy 
for those guys <laughs> in in the most skewed and perverse way sure. that you can imagine because they're committing crimes. Yeah. But I had empathy for them because I said, you know, these are the people who do it. And, and if you don't have people who you can, you can take their entire lives and their whole existence and toss it in a trash can and, and abuse them and say, you, your job is to slave yourself to the energy that's needed for the rest of everyone else. Sure. Then, God damn, dude. Then you got nothing. So there's this necessity for that. It's interesting that you had that empathy at a young age. But, uh, you know. That's the most harrowing ass uh, jackassery story that I had. Well, it's definitely harrowing. I mean, I don't know that you were much of a jackass except to... um, you know, not realize you were, shouldn't have been smoking weed when it wasn't right for you. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was a jackass to take the job. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was a jackass to not get off the boat. That, yeah. I was a jackass. To climb down the rope. To yeah. go back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And do it again for yeah, a second. Yeah, yeah, all of the All of those things, man. Yeah. You know? But it's not, it, it, it's true. It's not like a, it's not a drug-fueled jackassery. Yeah, or even yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, but it's I interesting say, that you think that about you think of that as it because to me everything that you just spell out is like an epic novel, and it's, and it's about youth. It's about youth and an experience more than about being a jackass. That's the way that I hear that story. Is that it's circumstantial and it is there's this geopolitical thing. I mean, there's this this energy. There's these these bigger forces. They are you, and, and, you're, and you have no, and your father pushed you in that direction. You know what I mean. So yeah. there's like, it's hard to to to. It, I mean, I'd give you, I'd give yourself a pass on the on the jackass part of that. And and I mean, it's an incredible story. I will. It's an I incredible, will. incredible story. And, and 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 I'll add to it this because because most of that particular part of the story is negative. Yeah, but I also add that there there were there were these intensely punctuated moments where I understand like the the, the Hemingway writing and the and the, and and Joseph Conrad absolutely and, and some of those authors and anyone who spent time as a sailor that's and the reason why I say yeah. that is this because it's intensely punctuated with moments of enormous pleasure that come in fleeting moments of totally unex- a, to- a completely unexpected variety. Yeah. And it could be just feeding seagulls as the sun is going down off the back of the boat and watching them like catch it in the air, you know? Yeah. And it can even come as the smell of the diesel coming off of the motor which for me for most people de- like the combination of salt air and diesel is a romantic smell to me and the touch of for ra- that and the touch of raper boy <laughs> the touch of raper boy yeah. <laughs> who, who thankfully kept at bay that guy holy shit man 
<laughs> Raper Boy was something yeah. fucking else, man. Well, that's an incredible experience, and there was no urinating on yourself, so you got that. I didn't piss on myself. Yeah. Or maybe I did when I was underwater. Yeah. And I was able to conceal it. There you go. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, God damn it, man. That was... Good stuff. Gulf Shores, Alabama, man. I didn't even get to the three-way that I tried to have with my ex-girlfriend and her friend. <laughs> Next time. Next time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. That's it for our podcast. Today, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. Good times. All right.